are listening to the Ivy Entrepreneur Podcast from the Pierre L. Morissette Institute for Entrepreneurship at the Ivy Business School. In this series, Ivy Entrepreneur and Ivy faculty member Eric Jansen will anchor the session. All right, I'm here with Erica Feidner. Erica, thank you so much for making the time. Happy to, Eric. I'm just thrilled to have been asked to to chat with you. So thank you very much. Yeah, this is a topic that... uh, the topic of sales is really interesting for a lot of the entrepreneurs that are listening and a lot of the entrepreneurs that we have on. So it's nice to be able to go into a deep dive. And in doing some of my research, you came up as Inc. Magazine had listed you as one of the top 10 salespeople of all time. Uh, so I'd love to know in your own words, I'm not going to root it for my audience, in your own words, uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Oh, about myself. Um, well, I, I probably was as surprised and delighted as everybody else to see my name up there in such distinguished company. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as myself, I grew up in a, a family of, of seven pianists, and we were all educators and performers. And um, I decided to combine that with business a while later. I got my MBA, which actually was a very big challenge for me. That was one of my biggest challenges challenges in my life. And then, you know, I sort of was leaning toward sales and just have been having a great time doing all of it. That's great. And so you started your, did you start your career in the music space or did you jump right out of your MBA in sales? Oh, okay. Um, I actually began teaching piano when I was nine years old. Um, wow. That was a, a great thing uh, because it's it's actually one of the favorite thing my favorite things to do to this day. So my family we're, we are all musicians and pianists, so that was part of daily life actually. So we were all playing, we were all teaching piano. I was teaching piano at the age of nine and so on, and so that was a big part of life. But it didn't seem different to me because that's all I knew. And we also in the summers we had forty five children from around the world living with us to learn to play the piano. Wow. And, yeah, in my childhood home. So, you know, first off, you know, when I was when I was five, I think it started, we started the, the business. But by the time I was nine or so, I was a founding mem- member. I was a faculty member. I was a teacher. I was a student. I was a friend. I was the arts and crafts director. Just many, many different positions, if you want to call it that. And all of those experiences, I think, really played a big part in who I am today. And it was it was just a wonderful, wonderful thing to be around people and around music. And I, you know, because I was so focused in music for, for most of my life, in fact, when I was 11, I attended the Juilliard School of Music, traveling five hours each way uh, alone from Vermont. Where, where I was living. So it really certainly was a, a big, big part of my uh, growing up. But I really felt that there was a gaping hole in my education. And so therefore, I sort of looked into the idea of an MBA. And for sure, that was the biggest challenge I've ever had in my entire life, because it was very foreign to me. But at the same time, I love to learn. And so it was. I think it was very, very helpful. And, you know, especially I went and got my MBA for myself because I wanted to be more rounded in my education. And I was very happy that I did. So I think, you know, those different pockets of education and so on have brought me to where I am. 
which is, you know, there, there are a number of things that I still do. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm still teaching and I'm in sales and I do speaking engagements and, and all of that. So, you know, for me, it just feels like a natural evolution. Yeah, that's great. I, so I, in my reading, I found out that your, your parents, or at least your father was Dutch, correct? Yes. My dad came to this country from Amsterdam when he was 19 years old with a dollar fifty in his pocket. And wow. yes, yes. And eventually he was a pre- professor of mathematics at Bennington College where he met my mom. And, you know, things went on from there. But, you know, a European flair I think was a good part of our lives as well. And you know, I I hate making generalizations, but you know, Dutch people tend to be known as, you know, very well educated and go getters and great with people and good negotiators and, and things like that. And and perhaps, you know, I never really thought about it, but I really think that that was a part of my education as well. Yeah, it's interesting. So my, uh, I have, I'm Dutch. My father was born in Holland. He came over when he was only a few months old. So we don't, our, yeah, our immediate family doesn't, you know, we have some Dutch traditions. We're not, uh, I, but I don't feel like I inherited any of the, definitely none of the language, but Oma still, you know, tells stories about the way that things used to be when she was growing up in Amsterdam. So we share that in common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's a, a big surprise. I had no idea. Yeah. So, okay. So you, uh, your background was primarily in music. You layered on business. How did you find yourself in sales? I remember while I was getting my MBA, I was a full-time piano teacher and I was making what I call house calls and so on. And I loved doing it. I just was really yearning to do something different. So I wound up selling my teaching practice, uh, much like attorneys do or doctors do and so on. So I felt good about that. And I was earning my MBA. And of course, you know, pianos, I'm very comfortable about pianos. So I remember being on vacation in Italy on the top of a mountain thinking, okay, Erica, what's next in life? And I wrote down the name of some piano manufacturers. And um, certainly Steinway was at the Steinway and Sons was at the top of the list. So I had approached Steinway and Sons and I was it was suggested to me to get some experience first. And I, I completely understand that. Um, it's just tough to get experience when that's what you're trying to get in the first place. Right. So yeah. It was a smaller organization with very high end pianos that I joined for about two years, finished my MBA, chatted with Steinway again, and was put on the floor day one and just just felt great. Everything was a match. Wow. So, um, and it just felt like when you got out to the, this was the store in New York, the floor in New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stanley Hall, uh, formerly on West 57th street. Yeah. Must've felt like such a surreal opportunity. I've seen only pictures of the, of the hall, but it looks incredible. It, it is absolutely stunning. The architects, um, were the same architects that, that designed uh, grand central station and uh, you know, the, the building was recently sold. It's a landmark building, and I have to tell you, it it was very difficult to to believe that that wasn't going to be part of New York or the piano world or just the world in general. It was it was very very difficult to to learn that they were going to sell the building that it wouldn't be Steinway Hall any longer. But you know, having grown up with pianos, thirty pianos in my house growing up, 
so that we could accommodate all the students uh, practicing and so on in the summer. So, you know, there was this, this beautiful showroom, you know, with grandeur and, and all of that. And I loved it. I was, you know, you, you used the word surreal. And I would say for sure, it was that kind of a feeling because it was really a, a dream come true. And there were, at that time, just five of us. And I felt very honored to be one of them. Did you feel like that was potentially part of what helped when you're sitting down with a client? Was that the the atmosphere that the building itself created? Was that part of the you know part of the sale as well? I would say absolutely. Um, you know, the presentation of a high end, a lot luxury good in in general is normally presented in a beautiful environment and so on. So I think for sure. I mean, there were paintings of composers and just a lot of uh, music and history of music in the in the building. So yes, I would say absolutely it was a big part of the presentation. On the other hand, there are so many people that would come in and say, you know, gosh, I don't know whether I belong here and I've wanted to come in the door so many times and yet I was intimidated. So that was a big problem. That was a hmm. big problem at Steinway Hall. So I, I would try you know, as a person, when somebody came in to greet them, you know, in a very sort of contemporary way and very excited and, and so on, so that we could break the ice because the, the building is very intimidating, I would say. It's beautiful. But, you know, it was one of those things where you had to break the ice a bit when somebody walked in the door. Right. So I had this, uh, I think it's very common in sales, especially like new technology sales nowadays. People are, if you come up with something new and exciting, it's it's actually not that difficult if you're a decent writer or okay on the phone to get a meeting with somebody. But those people might not be serious. They're more interested in, you know, learning from you, picking your brain, spending time with you, even if they're never serious about ever really buying anything. So how did you think about, you must've had a lot of window shoppers. You must've had a lot of people that came in that were just, you know, excited to see the space or wanted to come in and just take a peek. How did you figure out, or did you even care to figure out who was serious and who was not? Absolutely. So like many sales organizations, uh, we had a rotation system. And so we also had a territory so our territory was New York and Connecticut and New Jersey, general area. And so the receptionists would need to sort of get an idea of where they lived and then, you know, which sales representative would be helping that person. On the other hand, if it was somebody just looking around and they were from out of town, it was still rotation, but it was in a different sense. So, yes, absolutely. A lot of our time, it's, you know, a very, very good question that, that you have here. A lot of our time was invested in greeting out-of-towners that were just there to look. And I'll tell you, for me, it's it's the same thing. Because if somebody is coming in to learn about Steinway in general and pianos and so on, uh, it's a huge opportunity to encourage them to continue to be interested in piano or music. Um, there are some, some people where I just took them aside and I have a patent on how to read music in one lesson. Uh, I would show them how to read music and off they went. It's just, it was just, you know, it's always an opportunity and yes, there are times where somebody came in and they said that they no, had no interest in the piano and that sort of thing. And did they go home with a beautiful instrument? Absolutely. And I think part of that is sort of, for me, it was sort of finding a thread with the client in how to talk about piano and music in general 
And then to, because again, it's very intimidating to some people. Yes, for instance, there was a gentleman who was about to buy a seven foot Steinway and it was about $80,000. And he said, look, Erica, I love this piano. I understand completely why I should choose it. He explained to me you know, the, the craftsmanship and, and all that. And you know, each piano is different. And he told me that this one is fiery and it's a, a very sort of French horn round sound and so on. And I understand that, Erica, but I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed to buy an $80,000 piano when I don't know anything about music and I don't play. Hmm. So um, we talked about his family and he had a daughter and I made sure to get her a piano teacher in her, you know, in their hometown. And with the gentleman, yeah, I showed him how to read music as well. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where doing what I'm doing can actually change people's lives. And I know that sounds kind of lofty and all that, but really that's what we're doing. And, um, you know, buying a piano isn't buying a piano to me. The whole experience is like none other, or it should be. And, um, you know, it's bringing, you know, beauty and music into someone's life. And how wonderful is that? So that's a that's a great segue. So I was going to ask you, what what are people buying when they buy a piano? What like what is it that they actually are buying? Well, certainly they're buying an instrument. I'm not sure whether you want me to focus on that or or I mean, for me, I don't even use I don't even think about the sale. I I really think about saying hello to the customer and welcoming welcoming them into Steinway Hall or wherever. I'm actually just independent now, so I go to different showrooms and so on but really making an experience for that person that is is going to be memorable and educational and you know that it's for me it's really not about the sale at all that's i don't want to say it's secondary but that's kind of how it feels to me and so i guess they when they come in with me they get they get an experience and hopefully one that they will remember forever whether mm -hmm. they buy something or not and if even if they don't buy something if you've planted that seed of joy of music with that person, they're going to tell their friends and their friends are going to come in and choose a piano. So, I mean, no matter what you're doing, there's always some kind of connection or some benefit to everybody. Everybody wins when you take care of the customer. Everybody yeah. does. Even the prospective customers, even the ones who never actually buy. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. You know, those are the kind of people where you just know they're not going to buy a piano. They keep coming in from time to time to play the pianos. I don't think that person is annoying. I see that person as someone who loves music and gets to know me and tells their friends who are also interested in music to come in and choose a piano. Yeah, that's interesting. So I noticed in the interviews that you've given, you're very careful not to say that you're you're not in sales. You know, you don't want to say that you're a salesperson. So why are you so careful to make that distinction between either matchmaker or guide versus salesperson? Right. Great question, and I'll, I'll give you an example of, of where I'm coming from, and that is before going into selling pianos, if you want to call it that, or piano matchmaking, as I call it, <laughs> yeah. I was a concert pianist, and I was a teacher, and my father, of course, was a math mathematician, but also a pianist and a teacher. We all were, and I just remember telling him that you know I was so excited because I had been asked to join the team at Steinway & Sons at the Mecca on West 59th Street. And he looked at me, and I hate to say with a with a disappointed face, but that's what it was. And he said, Erica, you're going to be a salesperson? Really? Like, 
it just it just got this idea that of course he wanted me to be a concert pianist and so on and you know what was i doing so I, I think that many people my father included that was way way back in 1992 something like that but the the word sale or sales or sell i've been known to to say that it's a four letter word and i can tell you also that just like the the world in general i'm i'm changing what i have to say about sales because I think people are ready for discussing and, and, and sort of honoring the, the business of sales and the profession itself. So for me, selling now, um, my perspective is, yeah, it, you know, there's a transaction and we're going to use that word and so on. And I guess I would just say that, you know, selling is, is honorable. I, I also think, you know, to get to the heart of it, when people are born, I mean, even when they're little, when you, when you want something, if you want that candy bar or something, you can do everything you can to figure out how to, how to have mom say yes. I mean, we're selling ourselves all the time. So, you know, in every respect, and I think that, you know, a lot of people are like, I could never be a salesperson or, or what have you, but I think everybody has the ability if they wanted to. And if they need a little bit of help, well, hey, you know, I'm a teacher and it's teachable. So, <laughs> and you know, P.S. It's fun. It's really, it's really fun. You're around people all the time, and you know, it's it's a great profession. Yeah, it's. I, I, it feels like the tides are turning, or have been turning for some time. Certainly, you know, I'm teaching right now at the Ivy Business School. We're one of the leading institutions that are really considering, you know, investing heavily in educating our students in sales. So it's it's nice to see that it's it's starting to be taken way more seriously than it used to be. Oh, absolutely. And and like I said, it's being it's it's considered a very honorable profession these days. And you know, seeing these universities and so on, um, such as Ivy, it's terribly exciting to know that you're actually teaching sales because, you know, like I just mentioned, I do believe it's teachable. Yes, it would take somebody with expertise to teach it. But I think it's fantastic that there are organizations that are focusing directly on sales uh, because there are people like me whose experience is only organic. I mean, I, I didn't ever take a class on sales, even when I was getting my MBA. Yes, there was marketing, but that was very, very different. So, you know, it's, it's something that is a, a great profession and lots of fun. And as I mentioned, it's teachable. And I'm just thrilled that sales in general and and you know leadership and entrepreneurship are are all getting the attention that they deserve and i mean that that's one of the things that i'm moving into in my my own life is to speak with executives or at colleges and universities with classes classrooms and so on about sales and about you know how quote, how to sell and so on and it's terribly fun it's really just i mean it's very exciting yeah, people are keen to learn things that are actually going to help them right away. That they can turn around, you know, walk out of the classroom and start to use right away. So it's it's exciting yes. for that. Yeah, it is, and you know, I I think also it's important that people know that you know what what we're doing is we're not teaching tactics. <laughs> we're we're really I, I anyway really believe that we should talk more about how the client thinks, and you know, from the customer's perspective. And it sounds obvious. I know it sounds obvious, but it. It isn't. It's about the customer, less so about the product, and less so about yourself. Of course, the delivery is important, but you know, really focusing on what the customer wants and needs, and then off you go. So, if you were to teach, if I don't know, I'm sending send a student to 
meet with Erica Feidner and if she's interested in even selling pianos specifically, what would you, what would you teach her? And I ask because when I look at like all the different reasons why salespeople are successful, I think a big piece of it is having conviction in what you're selling, you know, truly believing that it's helpful for the client or the prospect. There's a huge element of domain knowledge or expertise, which I think I know you you have probably more than a lot of other, you know, people that are selling pianos out there. So so how how would you go about teaching that or would you not teach that part? Would you teach something different entirely? Oh, no. Um Excellent question. It, it kind of, it really does kind of depend on on the audience, of course. But one of the things that is is terribly important, um, you know, you mentioned the conviction. Of course, you have to you have to have conviction and expertise. You know, I'm always learning more about how a piano works and and so on. I mean, it's just a lifelong thing. But the I would say the most important thing is really underscoring the idea of integrity. I mean, without that, you really have very little. But but with it, you have, you know, you build up a great reputation. And, you know, fr- from there, it, it's like a platform, I think, if you really move forward with, with integrity at every touch point. That's something that, again, it, it's difficult to teach, I would say, but it is a very, very important element. So as far as um, sales and that sort of thing, if it were an individual, of course, I would go uh, in one direction. But as a group, you know, I think probably the best way to go about it is to ask questions like what is it that you want to learn and what you know what's on your mind and then tell a story or give an example and and show them a solution to that question. It's very important to show. I think when it's a for an incident, if it's a an experience that I've had with a client to answer a question that that a student has, that's in my opinion the the best way to go about it because it's real and people can relate to it. And it's true. So if I were to, if you're known, you're known as the piano matchmaker, how do you, if someone sits down, how do you find the match for them? Like, what's your, what's your process? How do you find it? That's a really fun question. My favorite. So when I was at Steinway and Sons, we had an inventory of 400 pianos. There were grand pianos, vertical pianos, the Steinway second line called the Boston piano, now the third line called the Essex piano, and so on. So for me, I made certain that every day I would know the inventory backward and forward. So because I grew up around pianos and so on, I just have a knack for knowing essentially who a piano is (laughs) because they have their own personalities. And P.S., they have their own serial number. So some of them look the same. So what I would do is to get to know a piano very quickly. That's just something that um, comes naturally to me. I'm very fortunate. And then I look at its name, also known as its uh, serial number. And that sort of goes into a bank in my head. So every day I would make sure that I knew the inventory backward and forward and which pianos were selected, you know, and what pianos are coming from the factory that weren't ready yet. And so I would go downstairs and I would crawl under the pianos to get to the ones that had just come in and, and give them a try. Uh, because, you know, it, I, I remember there were a couple of times where a piano hadn't been prepared. They would spend, you know, eight hours on a piano before it goes on the showroom floor. But I was able to hear the personality of that piano through any idiosyncrasies that were 
showing up. And, um, you know, there were a couple times where, <laughs> where clients would choose a piano that was really not prepped, but they could see and understate understood with me who that piano was and why it would be the rest the best selection for them. So, you know, I would say knowing your inventory is terribly important, but, um, you know, it, it doesn't, I mean, that, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's really, really, when it comes to pianos, it's a huge deal because every piano is really different. And, you know, I mean to say also when a customer comes in, usually they don't know that. So they're thinking, okay, the piano's going to go in the window and we need a six foot and we want a wood finish. Okay, well, a wood finish piano cannot go in, it can't go in the window because the veneer is photosensitive. So, you know, we'll talk about placement and that sort of thing as well. But to open a can of worms and tell the customer that every piano is different, they would look at me like, what are you talking about? And did you just complicate this process? And yes, it does complicate it. But at the same time, educating the customer, I, I would not have, I would not let a piano go home unless that person really understood why that particular piano was the perfect match for that person or that family or that room. It's not that pianos change, um, they, they don't, but you know, placement in a room, you know, it has a little bit of an, an effect. So I, I, you know, I hope that answers the question. Um, it's just, you know, again, it's a wonderful experience. So that's fascinating to understand from the product side. Like you literally would start your day by going, I don't know where it was, the basement, I guess, and just picking through the inventory. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, sorry. There, there was uh, every May we had an event at the factory and there were probably 300 pianos that were collected from, you know, all over the country, maybe, you know, other dealers or what have you. Anyway, they would have 300 pianos or, or whatever all lined up and they wouldn't finish moving them in till like midnight the night before the quote sale happened. So I am known to have been crawling around, (laughs) crawling around at, you know, at midnight with these pianos and yeah, once in a while, I would see a mouse, you know, but, but, wow. but I really wanted to get to know the pianos and I only had, you know, a few hours to get to know so many pianos. So what I did just to make sure I knew what I was doing is I did a couple of things. I already knew what the client wanted as far as size and finish and price range, because I'd already spoken with them. So sorry, there were some walk-ins, but there are also appointments that you make with your own clients. So I knew that. And then, you know, once I know the pianos, I would, match them up so i would take a little yellow stick them and say okay these are the two or three pianos one's over there one's way over there i think they're a great match take a look and then sorry to say but we don't have time we're just gonna have to choose one but you know so that there's a lot of pressure for for everybody but it was very exciting to you know I, i love getting prepared i guess that's the word i was very prepared. I had, you know, I had a client list. I had, you know, serial numbers mapped out. And I forgot to say, I had my own notes, if you want to call it that. So I would have the, a list of the models, you know, as far as size and finish and the age, and that's fine. But then I would rate the pianos from one to 10 on whether they had a versatile sound or if they were shy or whether the piano sings beautifully or whether it's a drier sound. I mean, all these factors. So it's, it's kind of like choosing a wine. Many people said, mm-hmm. you know, this is kind of like 
choosing a wine. And it is. So um, it just, you know, very fulfilling and great fun running around <laughs> in this huge room with all these pianos and customers and, you know, everybody's going home happy. I mean, how, how fun is that, right? That's amazing. That's amazing. Did you ever, this is maybe a weird question, but did you ever have any like sad pianos that you just, I don't know, you didn't get along with. And so therefore you never recommended them to customers that just sat there for years at a time? You know, um, I have to say that there is a foundation in a piano that I call and is known as the sustain. And that's really essentially how well the soundboard in that particular piano is performing. And I would say that, you know, I really would only choose the top 5% of inventory. And, you know, somebody said, well, who's going to sell the piano? It's not that the other pianos are bad. Certainly not. Uh, whether it's Steinway or Fazioli or Bresnoff, uh, you know, each one has its its own beautiful attributes. And then there are some that have even more. So those are the ones that I would choose. And if a piano didn't have that, well, then we wait. Now, that's a big risk because maybe they can go shopping somewhere else. But that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen if you really help the customer and, and educate them and they know that you're going to find piano for them. I, I should tell you an example. I remember sitting at my desk and I got a piece of mail. So I opened it up and said, Dear Erica, our piano teacher thinks that you're really good at choosing great pianos. And we're looking for a walnut five foot one. <laughs> and there was a check in there. <laughs> there was a check for $1,000. And what we can do is we can reserve a piano and, and then, you know, have the customer come in and, you know, either choose it or not. But, you know, it's, it was just so funny. And yeah, there was a five foot one walnut that was out of this world. It just happened to be. Other times, you know, we, we would have to wait. And that was frequent too. But, <laughs> you know, if you really work on your reputation and you do the right thing every time and you educate other piano teachers who, you know, they, they have their, their own ego too, you know. Wow. And, but if you, if you educate them and, and they become part of it, then it's, you know, everybody's having a good time. So I just remember that, um, that kind of thing has happened a few times, but it just made me so happy that somebody really trusted me. Trusted, trusted you that me. much. Here's I the money, you customer. pick it. I never let them. Yeah. Yeah, eventually, of course, I did. Because I, again, I will not let a piano <laughs> go home unless the customer understands. So yeah, yeah it's great fun. So I want to, I want to, one more question that I'm going to, I want to wrap up. Um, so you talked a lot about how you get to know, I, I understand now how you became such an expert. I understand your process for getting to know the pianos. What was your process for getting to know the customers and really understand what they wanted? Ah, uh, again, a really great question. And fortunately for me, it was an, you know, an organic education. So as far as getting to know the customer, remember that in the summer, there were 45 kids living with us, right? Every week. So there were probably 250 kids in and out of there every summer. We also had 10-day programs for adults from around the world. So we were around education and people from all walks of life all the time. And you will know as a professor that when you speak to people, you must speak with respect. And if you're teaching, you know, you want to be, you know, if I'm teaching piano, I want to encourage them. But at the same time, there are things that need improvement and you have to find ways to say that. So um, I would say that as far as getting to know the customer, 
gosh, when I'm, when I'm with them or even on the phone, I listen very carefully to their voice, but if they're sort of intimidated or if they're nervous or what have you, I will sense that and then, you know, go forward from there. Or maybe, you know, maybe they're really excited and we don't have time to talk about pianos. Let's just get them right on the bench. You know, you just, I think everybody has this ability. You're around people all the time, your whole life. And in PS, you're also selling at every touch point in your life. So, you know, as far as getting to know the customer, no, it's not easy. And have I honed it to, you know, an expert level? Yeah. And I think a lot of it is just a natural thing and getting out, if you want to call it a vibe on a person, then, you know, that's, that's really what, I mean, I, I will know within five minutes, which piano somebody should choose. That was going to be, I was going to say, so someone, I don't know, appointment is booked. I come in to see you in New York. You and I are sitting in a room together. We're having a conversation. How long until you start to, you're, I, I like, I want to peer in your brain. I want to zip open and peer into your brain. You're running through your catalog of all the different pianos and the, and the different serial numbers. And like, how long until you say it's one of these? Um, or do you even say that out loud? Oh, yes. Um, so, you know, people might be, well, I, I would say that, you know, to answer the question, I will know within five minutes. It used to be about half an hour, but, you know, as you go on in life, you get better at things. And so I would have an idea of whether somebody needed a piano that was sunny or had, you know, a very deep bass or, or rich or, you know, other words that I use. And so I would make sure, typically, make sure that the customer understood that each piano is different. And I would show them on various pianos, you know, what kind of tone I'm hearing. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, I, you know, I don't know anything about music. Well, they may not think that they do, but everybody's voice is different. And you can tell the difference there, even on the phone. So it's one of those things where I try to make it as simple as possible. And even, you know, even obvious if, if you know, it's my job to explain to a customer what a piano has to offer. So are there times where a customer comes in and we <laughs> find, I, not even find, I will show them the piano I have in mind right away. Um, yes, that has happened. Why? Because maybe there's another customer looking at that piano right then. And I'm really sorry, but that piano is meant to be for my customers. <laughs> wow, yeah. So it's like, all right, that's your piano. You came to me because your friend recommended me. That would be important, right? So they've been referred to me or what have you. That's your piano. Let's reserve it. And then I'll tell you why it's the right one. It, it's a little, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. You know, we, we all have to respect, respect each other. I mean, maybe that customer is just kind of looking at the cabinet or something like that. But, you know, with the really good ones, I want that to go to my customers. And so there have been times. Oh, for instance, there have been times where I call a customer and ask for their credit card number over the phone to reserve the piano, and then they come in. That I do all the time. Mm -hmm. all the so that's an interesting commitment. You get like a micro-commitment to see, you know, if, if you understand them, you know what they want, let's reserve it so that no one else takes it because I've got the perfect one for you. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, again, I, I'm trying to put it in the perspective of actually selling because to me, it's just a natural thing, you know? So yes, does it create urgency? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, you know, the customer feels great about it because I'm there on their behalf and I have found the piano for them. And, um, 
you know, that must be a good feeling, I would think. So, you know, when they come in to see the piano, it's, it's like a piano party. It's, it's just yeah it's just great fun so and you know this isn't just for pianos this is anything in life you can make anything a party and <laughs> it's got it better be fun like if you're going to spend this much time doing it and it's your job maybe convincing is the wrong word but like if it's your job to transfer the emotion and the passion that you feel for whatever it is you're selling into somebody else you better be excited yourself exactly exactly and if somebody is selling a commodity i mean that's a quest a good question i think as well um, if somebody's selling a commodity, then how are you going to differentiate? You can't. So, but you can differentiate your own communication with a customer, and nice. that's what you can be known for. Is you know, she makes sure to take care of everything and the delivery, and and then you make sure that you're known for your good work, and that way people will come to you. Yeah, yeah. I noticed uh, in that New Yorker article, they talk. They mentioned a having happy customers and them, uh, you know, referring other people to you, or you made the point earlier, even when people may not necessarily be customers right now, they might tell their friends about a good experience they have or have had, and then they would send their friends in. So you've, by taking good care of people and actually caring about them, you've got this amazing referral system happening in the background. Absolutely. And, um, you know, my final years at Steinway, I was working by referral only. Wow. Nope wouldn't be taking the calls. I wouldn't be taking the walk-ins. So, um, you know, that was a big risk to think about taking, but it was less of a risk because I, I feel like I, I know what I'm doing and I had, you know, really built up a reputation. Uh, and of course the New Yorker story was, was, uh, was a big one. It was really helpful to have that sort of as my calling card. So, uh, you know, by the way, the New Yorker story, has just been optioned, which is known as sold, oh. to a world famous executive producer. Oh. Feature film. Wow. <laughs> so my life rights just got sold. It's just crazy. My life rights got sold. 18 years after the story came out, there's an executive producer who has done films like 12 Years a Slave, Slumdog Millionaire, Billy Elliot, The Iron Lady. I mean, this woman is amazing. And she said that she couldn't get the story out of her head and that she wanted to do a feature film. So that's. <laughs> wow. That would be amazing. I'm staring. Uh, I feel like I'm staring. I'm staring at your picture in the article right now on it. I, I could see it. It would be a great movie. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, I, I understand that the mortality rate is very high for film and that sort of thing, but, but I, you know, cross, cross fingers and so on. But, um, you know, again, it's sort of, it's exciting to be able to share my world with the rest of the world, which is, you know, the joy of music and how it can enrich your life. And, and it's, you know, especially for oneself, if you have an idea of different sound and touch and that sort of thing, it's just exhilarating to play on different channels and to meet different channels. It's, it's so much fun. Yeah. I've got, ever since I was a kid growing up, uh, sort of middle-class family, but I always had dreams of owning a beautiful, uh, grand or baby grand piano that would be on like an elevated platform in my home that I would play one day. So I took, you know, I took lessons growing up, but since I moved away to university and started a family on my own, I've, I haven't revisited it, but it's something that's sitting in the back of my mind. So I feel like I would be a, a I know who I'm going to come to when the time is right, because there will be a time and I know who I'm going to come to. <laughs> That's great. You know, I can't help but say 
when you're ready and P.S. I can help you get ready. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and call me and I teach by Skype. <laughs> it's, it's really fun. So the other thing is, I don't I don't know the age of your children, but children can learn to play the piano from the age of two. And, you know, that's that's what I do is I, I do have some students that are two years old <laughs> going in here for their piano fun. It's not even a piano lesson. It's called piano fun. So, um, you know, I'd be happy to, to talk with you about that at another time. But uh, once you once you get the piano slash music bug, there's just <laughs> there's no end to it. It's just yeah. really- it's funny. We I, I've we've tried to expose them to music early on. So we've got a drum set at home and I've got a little drum set for them. And we bought, you know, little keyboards and things. And the first it was over the Christmas holiday where we brought them to a friend's house who had an upright piano and they were oh, they were okay with the kids playing it. So my oldest is four, my youngest is two and a half. And uh, the kids, you know how kids sometimes just get onto something and I always just let them go for as long as they want to go. And they were probably playing on the piano for 90 minutes, just playing and playing and playing and playing and playing. And I was looking at them thinking, huh, this is interesting. I feel like maybe I should, maybe I should act on this and get them, get them signed up. You know, I have to tell you, Eric, I have chills right now. That happens when I get excited and, and I'm happy about something. My left arm, I have chills on it. And, you know, 90 minutes is its really something. I thought maybe you would say half an hour. 90 minutes is really, really something. And um, I, I think that you're right to pay attention. And as a pianist and a teacher, I'm suggesting that you really take a really good look at this because it sounds like they're ready. It's They're ready. Yeah. This is, it's interesting, you know, I, you, so often you want to put kids in things that'll let them release their energy, right? So you look at soccer and karate and hockey and uh, ballet and dance and all of these things, but at least my mind wasn't immediately going to getting them into music this young. So I, I will take your advice. I'm going to get them started in something this spring. That sounds fantastic. You're a great dad. <laughs> great. Great. Well, this has been this has been really great. I, I'll ask you one more question, and if you don't have anything that immediately comes to mind, that's okay. But I've, I'm teaching hundreds of students this year who have never been exposed to any sales in their lives, and I think a handful of them are actually going to go out and start their young sales careers. So, as someone who's been in the business now for as long as you have, and has got a, a bunch of experience and a great track record, do you have any advice for someone that's just getting started in sales? Um. Gosh, uh, it's, it sounds like a question that should be easy. It's not an easy question. A really hard question. I saved the best, the hardest for last. I do have some kind of an answer, which is be honest and be yourself. I really think, I really think those two things in communicating with, with the customer really, really, I'm not saying those are the only two things, but those two things are really important. Of course, you have to know a lot about the product and so on, but you also need to know why that customer should have it and how they're going to benefit from it. So certainly um, honesty and, and, and integrity, those two things are so important because you never know. I mean, I never thought in a million years I'd be a salesperson and that I'd be selling high-end pianos. I, it never imagined that. It just sort of unfolded. And it's a, it's a great way of life. So, you know, I think most people want to be honest anyway. So, you know, those. I, I think that's what I would say. Just be honest and go forward with integrity. That's great. Erica, it's been a lot of fun. I 
it's weird. I, I, although we're not in the physically the same place, I feel like you're uh, sitting across the table from me. So thank you so much for agreeing to the time. And I've, I learned a lot. Thank you very much. Oh, gosh, I had a blast. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the Ivy Entrepreneur Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit ivy.ca forward slash entrepreneurship. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.